there are two dominating troubles at Bridgeway that weigh on my heart a lot. And I do not know how to move into a new year where we're going to be really directing our absolute focus on our Heavenly Father all year long without addressing a couple of these issues. Because what they do is they force us to not be able to look up. They tend to drive our our minds down. There's two troubles that are very, very hard on my spirit and something that I wish I could do something about. The first one that I carry around is the issue of cancer. Um, We have a lot of cancer in this church. We have a lot of people suffering, your family members, uh, your friends, people that you love. Um, And that weighs on me very heavily because it is a very difficult uh, disease to walk through. It's very hard to see your loved ones go through that. Um, What we're going to do this year is set up a couple different times where we're going to come together for worship and prayer nights. Our first one's going to be coming up in March, where we're going to come together as a family and start talking about uh, some of these things with our Heavenly Father. God, is there some way you want to reach down and touch us? Is there healing available through the power of the Holy Spirit for this? Is this something that you want to minister to us in? Or will you give us strength to continue to move forward? So we're going to address that as a family a couple different times this year. That is not one that I can address from the pulpit. I I can't talk you out of cancer. I can't uh, talk more scripture and somehow make everything better. Uh, That's something we need to directly take to our dad, right? Uh, The other one, however, is something that I can speak to, and that is what today is on. The second great trouble that weighs on my spirit right now is our marriages. Um, A lot of our marriages and our homes are just not where they need to be. So we're going to take this morning and be discipled by the Apostle Paul, saturated in Scripture, and begin to address a crucial issue that we must do if we're ever going to move forward as a church. I entitled this morning's message, Bringing Kindness Back Home. There is a fruit of the Spirit known as kindness, something that most of us in our cynical world of today have relegated to foofy. Kindness, what is that? Whatever, kindness, oh, I'm being nice to somebody, that doesn't have any value. Stop. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it has all but disappeared in our home life. We will not move forward until we address this, because our homes are to be havens and places of peace, and they're just not So we have a few things that we need to talk about, and I'm going to give you the fill in the blank here uh, right now. Why don't we take a look at this? This would kind of break things wide open for us. Uh, Write these in. Be at least as kind at home as you are elsewhere. Be at least as kind at home as you are elsewhere. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this bogus compartmentalization concept that we've bought into that we get to be different at home. We're super nice at work because otherwise we'd get fired. Um, We're super nice at church because that makes everybody like us. And then we get home and become monsters. We think that because we are married, we can treat our spouse however we want. We think that because we're the parents, we can treat our children however we want. 
We think that because we're kids and we're going through a rough time, we never asked to be here. We can treat our parents however we want. None of that is absolutely accurate. Uh, As a matter of fact, it's absolutely wrong. Um, In our homes, there should be the presence of the Lord there. There should be a containment system and there should be people trying to love on one another. We have to bring kindness back home. So you may be nice in so many other areas, but one thing you're going to hear me say over and over is this, who you are at home, you are. All right. Who you are at home, you are. You may have everybody else fooled. Your spouse knows your kids know who you really are. And that is who you really are. Do not pretend to be otherwise. In our message today, I'm going to redirect a lot of the focus towards the gentleman. So guys, you and I are going to have a little bit stronger of a talk today. Why? Is it because it's all your fault at home? No, absolutely not. There's all sorts of issues going on. You're going to go, well, well, my wife and blah, blah. All right. We can have that discussion. Here's why I'm talking to you. You're the head of your house. So I'm holding you accountable. You have to lead the charge on this one because God's going to nail you to the wall. It doesn't matter who started it. It doesn't matter who the problem is. I'm going to talk with you because I need you to step up and make some changes in your home. If there's a vicious cycle going on in your home, I want you to be the one to reverse it. You have to take the first step to start changing the atmosphere. All right. It is not that I do not understand. It's not that I'm blaming you. It's not that I somehow live in some ivory tower and I don't have a marriage and I don't have kids and I don't have real life at home. I have all that. And we're going to talk about that. I've always been very honest with you and I'll be very honest with you today. So I get it. But I need you to do this. We can't wait on anybody else. It's got to be you and I. We have to do this. Why don't we do this? Let me start with a story. Peter comes up to Jesus one day, and I'm assuming he just got ticked off. I'm assuming somebody just really irritated him because of his question that he brings to the Lord. He says this. He says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Remember that? Now, why would he ask that unless somebody just completely ruined his day? So he said, what do I got to forgive him like seven times for the same thing? Now he was being somewhat gracious. He was being uh, pretty big of a guy because rabbis would argue about this. How many times should you forgive? Should it be this many or this many? He was being somewhat liberal and seven is known as the perfect number. So he was really trying to be spiritual in his response. He said, what, like seven times? And Jesus said, no. 70 times seven. You're like, that's 490. Okay. It's, it's a perfect number times a super big, perfect number. The idea is it's, you never stop doing it. Well, that blew his hair back. And Jesus said, let me tell you a story on why I would say something like that. Why would I demand something of you so absurd and ridiculous? And he told this parable. He said, Imagine there's a king, and of course he's talking about God. Imagine there's a king who's settling accounts with his servants about different things that they owe him, and there's this one particular servant that owes him more than he could ever pay back in his whole life. 
As a matter of fact, if he worked as hard as he possibly could, even had his whole family work as hard as they could, there's no way in the world he's ever going to pay that back in this life. The king brings him up and he says, buddy, you're out of it. You accrued this enormous debt. I'm going to go ahead and throw your whole family into debtor's prison. You're never getting out. We're done here. The man fell on his knees, begged the king and said, I am so sorry. I will do whatever I can. Please don't do this. Please don't ruin my life. Extend mercy to me. King looked down at him and he said, all right, let me, let me tell you this. Okay. First of all, I don't need your money. Second of all, here's what we're going to do, because I think this is a lot more about me than it is about you. What type of king am I? Okay, let's do it this way. Let's call it even. You don't owe me anything. All right, this is going to be kind of a big lesson between you and I. We're just going to cancel the debt. Now, you can imagine the shock on this guy's face. You would assume that he's immediately elated I'm sure he is, but now he's thinking monetary. Now he's thinking money. And he's tense and he's kind of strung out from being all stressed. So he immediately leaves the king's presence and he goes to another servant that owes him money. He goes up to the guy who owes him a small amount. Now it's significant enough that he needs the debt paid. And it's significant enough that the other guy can't pay it right now. So it's not no big deal, but it's nothing compared to what he was just forgiven for. And he goes up to that servant and said, pay back what you owe me. The guy said, well, I can't. He starts choking him and nailing him to the wall. You better pay me back everything. And the guy falls on his knees, begs him the same way he did the king. And he said, please forgive me. I will do whatever I can. He said, not good enough. Throws him and his whole family into prison. Well, the king finds out about this. King says, come here for a second. Who do you think you are? Did we not just go through this scenario? You owed me more than you could ever pay. I let you go. You go out to a guy who doesn't owe you as much. And what you press justice on him after I have extended mercy. What is wrong with you? You know what? We're done here. I don't ever want to see you again. I don't want anything to do with you. Get out of my sight. Something's wrong with you. All right. Jesus then starts talking about how we need to forgive other people. Because of what God has done in our lives. Some of us need to learn new facts because you will likely treat other people how you believe God treats you. If you believe that God nails you to the wall for everything, is constantly hovering over your head with a hammer and completely about justice, then you will be hard on yourself and vicious with everyone else. If, however, you understand the facts that God has not treated you with justice, but treated you with grace. If you accept the truth that he has extended mercy, then you will begin to cut other people more slack. You go, I, I know those facts, Lance. That's, I've been in church for a really long time, so... 
As a matter of fact, right when he started the story, I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he throws the servant out and blah, blah, blah. All right, then you're in trouble more than anybody else because you know the story. Why is there not more forgiveness in your life? Oh, you zoom to the end, right? Because you're tired of me telling the story. All right, what are you doing about it? Because that's the other piece. If you know the facts and it's not operating in your life, you're not owning it. So how do we own it? How does it drop from our heads down to our hearts, soak in, and we believe it? Because if we are not able to extend forgiveness freely, we don't get it. And I know that a lot of us are struggling with forgiveness. We would not have the rough relationships we have right now if we were able to forgive appropriately. I need you to turn with me in your Bibles to our first passage where Paul's going to teach us. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, page 826 in the Bibles handed to you, 826. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, page 826. I'm just going to pray for the word this morning that it might soak into our lives that we don't just go, oh, I know that one, and zoom to the end. But we would say, oh, obviously I don't know that one because I'm not living like that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask as a family that you would help us become more functional. That, Lord, that we submit our will to you and we want to try again. We want to cool off and learn what forgiveness means. Learn what kindness is and extend that to our family. Lord, would you change our homes from hellish locations to places of soothing where after a long day at work, after a long day with the kids, we're peaceful and we recharge. God, restore our marriages. Restore our parent-child relationships. Make us new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul says this. As a matter of fact, as I was studying this concept, I found like it was in almost every of Paul's letters. He just kept going through this idea of identity, what we ought to be doing now, and he seems to keep linking kindness in there. He keeps saying, the world does it this way, we need to do it this way. So let's read the first of these passages, Galatians 5.19. Now, the acts, or the way of living of the sinful nature, the stuff without Jesus... The worldly way to do things are obvious, and he lists a whole bunch of them. What he's saying is, this is how we would end up if we really just went for how we felt. If we really went for reacting off what the world throws at us. If we let the world make us grow bitter. If we allow the world to be training us to use each other. If we just allow our fleshly lives to go on, we'll end up here. He said... Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Some of you are going, well, I'm not, I'm not seeing a whole lot of that. All right. The next ones seem to describe a lot of our marriages. How about that? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Unfortunately, that's what I'm seeing in the counseling room. That's what I'm hearing from your children. That's what I'm hearing from your spouse when you're not around. 
it goes on. He's like, there's other stuff too, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Listen, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean? He means that is the pattern of behavior of those that do not have Jesus. So why exactly are we having this discussion? Why is that stuff present in the people that do have Jesus? Because those are all indicative of no Jesus. There's no presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why that stuff reigns. What about in the homes where the Holy Spirit is present? Why are we talking about this? He said, no, 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 that's not us. You see, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, that which naturally pours out of a believer, not that you have to constantly try hard, you may have to hone it, but it's, it's something that will naturally come out of a life that is characterized by grace. Is your natural outflow at home these things? He said, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that describe your marriage? Is that what your marriage is about? Man, my marriage is just all about patience. All we do is just like, no, I totally get it. You're probably stressed out today. That's fine. Is patience just all over your life, right? Your kids are like, there's so much patience here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that your family? Is that your family? Or your kids are like, I, I'm, I'm strangled by the amount of joy that is, that is exploding in our household. I can cut it with a knife, right? Is that, is that what's happening? Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the sinful nature. You did away with the garbage stuff. With its passions and desires, meaning you know what you want to do, you know how you want to react, you know what naturally wants to flow, but we don't do that anymore. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Now let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. All right, real quick, let's make it practical. Our society has given us far too much room to be screwed up. And here's what I mean. Within the last five years, there is a massive inundation of reality TV. Yeah. All right. Now, I like reality TV because it's kind of like learning how to counsel through the TV because I'm looking at all these people. And I'm like, man, they are whacked. Something is seriously wrong with these people. Right. OK. Now, the problem with reality TV is that it cuts this huge swath, this huge path in front of us to be messed up and be all right with that. Because here's why we can always say I'm not as bad as. Whatever that is, right? We can always point to someone else and go, I'm not that screwed up. And then we feel better about ourselves. We actually can allow ourselves to remain dysfunctional because we're not as dysfunctional as what we see in all media outlets, TV, newspapers, everything else. But I need to express something to you. Number one, reality TV is not reality. Regular reality is slightly boring and mundane, and that doesn't sell. So what reality is, is snippets of hyped up reality. As a matter of fact, they create scenarios and situations to intensify that they might be able to sell a commercial. That's the whole point of Hollywood. Now, there are healthy families. You just don't get to see them. There are loving families. There are loving parents. There are couples that are not going to blows. There are people that are not screaming at each other every day. There are contained environments. There are healthy homes. There are havens. There are places of peace. Those do not get any airplay. 
but they are there. And yes, if your home is not like that, something is amiss. Let's re-rack. No, just because you're not as messed up as what the housewives of Beverly Hills, right? Just because you're not that messed up does not mean that you're healthy. It does not mean that the way you talk to each other at home is cool. It does not mean that you can drop the F-bomb at home and scream at each other and use all sorts of profanity and degrade each other. No, that's unacceptable in the Lord's eyes. It has no place in a Christian home. It has no place in a Christian life. And it's happening all the time. What's wrong with us? Where do we go wrong? What's happening? Why aren't we, why aren't we changing? Christians don't let that reign in their homes. They don't partake in it. They don't encourage it. And they're peacemakers and shut it down. That's not the way Jesus asked us to act. It says don't become conceited. I'll tell you when we become conceited. When we think we own our house. When we think we own our marriage. You don't own your marriage. You're stewarding it for God. You don't own your kids. You've never owned your kids. You're a steward for God. You don't own your house. How do we know that? Because God ripped your house away of a lot of you and just took it right away from you. You've never owned your house. God owns your house. What happens in your home is about managing God's stuff. Problem is we come home and we think I'm completely justified now that I'm in my place and my kids and my wife, my husband, I can act however I want. I'm hearing about husbands cheating on their wives. What in the world are you doing? No, she does know about it. Uh, there's all types of really messed up stuff. Things, stories of kids describing it that mom, all her words are like venom in the house. Just nastiness everywhere. It's not flat out screaming. A lot of it is just dark sarcasm, cutting, mean, insulting. This is the stuff that is coming through our homes. No, no, that's not right. No, we're not going to keep doing that. We've got to change it. You shouldn't have to hate being home. You shouldn't have to run to your room if you're a child because your parents are always arguing in front of you. You shouldn't have to wonder, is mom and dad going to get a divorce every day? You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, this is the stuff that is in Christian homes. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about us. Our marriages. Something's amiss. Turn with me three pages to the right in the Bibles that were handed to you. Uh, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. It's page 829. Ephesians 4, 22. I'm going to kind of read through this and scan and jump around a little bit. So maybe you can, you can hang with me. Ephesians 4, 22. Paul goes on to talk about this. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. To put off your old self, meaning, no, we don't act like that anymore. That maybe before Jesus, that's the way you ran it. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds 
and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Of course, you're going to get angry, but we don't sin in our anger. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. First thing he says, be new in the attitudes of your minds. If you just let society pour into you, you're not going to change. If you just watch the news, if you just go to work, if you just spend time with your friends, you're not going to make the necessary adjustments because you're thinking on one track. You must have a steady diet of God telling you different things through his word. You have to be reading, getting into a different mindset. When I start reading scripture and looking at the huge things God is doing to maneuver and move that he might redeem his people, my arguments with my wife sound really stupid. Does that make sense? We almost need just a new perspective to go, oh yeah, there's more important things going on than me nitpicking about the fact that someone left out their coffee cup, right? At some point, we got to blow it out wider and look and go, what am I arguing about? Why am I so wrapped up in this stuff? We need to be renewed in our minds day by day in being engaged with God. Part of that is going to church, but make no mistake, this is once a week. If we're not in small groups getting it reinforced, if we're not in classes trying to learn how to live and getting new tools, if we are not in the word on a constant basis, we're going to lose that battle because the world is pushing really hard and it will give you all kinds of room to be a monster. We don't want that kind of room. Interesting thing about dealing with anger. Um, one reality show I don't actually watch is called Teen Mom. Anybody know about this show? Okay, here's the idea. Let's grab a young lady who, I don't know, maybe 16 years old. She has a child. She's a single and she's stressed out, has no money and her life is miserable. Let's put a camera in her house because that's intriguing. So let's just watch her fall apart. She has a fiance. Well, uh, a little while back in the fall, they were airing these episodes of her interacting with her fiance and it became national news. Why? Because it was documenting her screaming and berating her fiance, and then she punched him, right? And everybody in Hollywood was shocked. Oh, how could she do this? They start screaming, get CPS in there, take away her child, and how dare she scream, this is spousal abuse. And I'm sitting there looking at all these Hollywood people, and I'm going, really, that's not your house? Come on, talk about acting. What, you're all acting? Oh, come on, this is happening every day. There is the constant blow-up argument. If I put a camera in your homes and I edited out the boring parts, what am I going to see? I'm going to see that show in your house, right? It shouldn't be happening. If we all saw what happened in, we'd all be screaming, CPS needs to take your kids away. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that we're letting too much garbage go on. And here's the great irony of ironies for this. 
Um, I have a whole bunch of problems in my life, which I try to dump on you guys periodically, so I'll feel better. <laughs> One of them has never been anger. Okay, I'm just not an angry guy. I'm, uh, you know, I get up here and I get all ferocious and everything, but I think that you guys know that when I step off here, I'm pretty mellow. I'm a pretty, I like to laugh a lot. That's kind of my thing. And the last two months, I've had something bubbling under the surface. I've shared it with you, been real honest on the pulpit. I got something bubbling under the surface that has pushed me to the max. I'm starting to get irritated by everything. Everything people do suddenly drives me crazy. I'm blowing up a lot more. I'm agitated. I'm biting at Susie, my wife, way too much. Uh, my kids are being kids, and suddenly I'm finding that I can't seem to handle that, although I'm contained at home right now. I'm always on the edge of losing it. Where did this come from? I, I've never had to wrestle with this in my life. I don't have any tools. I'm like, how do I deal with anger? I'm not an angry guy. And I found myself lost. As a matter of fact, this is how real it is. My birthday, December 31st, we went to bed at 10 o'clock, right? Because I did the whole, let's watch the East Coast ball drop with my kids. Anybody do that one? The whole, yeah, it's midnight, woo! It's nine. Anybody do that? Right on, I was in bed at 10. All right. At quarter to 10... At quarter to ten, I'm sitting on my floor in my room with my laptop journaling why I'm so irritated tonight on my birthday. What did I do on my birthday? My wife cleared everything out around me and kept going, stay in your bubble, stay in your bubble, hang out, and I'll handle stuff with the kids. She was just being cool the whole day. I went to a lame movie with my kids um, called Gulliver's Travels. Not funny. And... <laughs> I'm a huge Jack Black, Jack Black fan, and that was not funny. And, but still, I went to a movie, I was relaxing, I was eating too much popcorn, it was this kind of stuff. I was doing great. My whole day should have been awesome. And I'm journaling at the end of the night about why I'm ready to blow again. When the world is wrong with me, I have no idea. I got some things that I'm putting into place for this new year to try to fix it, but I don't even know how to handle it. Why am I yelling at everybody? And I'm not, right now I'm still somewhat contained, so it's still pretty mellow. But man, under in my heart, I'm angry. You know what? I, maybe you feel like that. And maybe you don't have any tools either. But guess what? We've got to grow up and go find some. I'm starting to do things like uh, cooling off periods and walking away and, sh and shifting the channel of my mind, think about other things, not just going down the angry thoughts. Um, I'm sitting there trying to figure out, well, maybe I can go over here or I can focus on this. I'm sitting there making up tools and learning and grasping to try to figure out a way that I can be a better husband and a better father and a man of God. I know you don't have all the tools. I don't either. But dang it, we got to go find them. We've got to go learn them. You don't just leave it as it is. That's not right. Your kids don't deserve that. Your spouse doesn't deserve that. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Most of us in our families are not dealing with physical violence. We're dealing with a slaughterhouse of verbal wounds. You're so cutting. You guys, I get it. I get it. I've, I've shared with you before. God gave me the spiritual gift of being a smart aleck. I am, I am awesome. I am awesome with comebacks. 
I am extremely good with words. And quite frankly, whatever you say, I, my first reaction is something smart. Okay, I have an ability to cut you down. It, it, it comes naturally to me. I can't use that in my home. I can't use that on people. Uh, it's just not fair. Okay, you know you have a comeback. You know you can push the hot buttons. You know you can say something mean. You know you have the way of knowing what will completely crush the people in your home. Don't you dare use it. That's not right. It's not what God gave it to you for. God gave you a quick mind that you might think of encouraging words. God gave you a quick mind that you might build other people up and know what to say in the situation, not to turn it for your gain or to lash out. That's not right. We're so mean to each other. Turn with me to our final passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Page 813, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, page 813, you're going to bounce back to the left. As you're turning there, let me share two thoughts. I think that our biggest problem is an inability to forgive. And here's why. What's the last thing you and your spouse fought about? Fighted. Gosh. <laughs> that was lame. I'm really good with words. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just make them up when I don't have one. <laughs> All right. Focus. All right, here we go. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> okay. The last the last thing you guys fought about was what? Was it the uh, dishes in the sink? Is that what it was? You just went all irate, right? Because there was dishes in the sink. Is it really about dishes in the sink? No, you know it's not. That would be stupid. It's never been about dishes in the sink. It's about the 52 other things that led up to this that that snapped you. Okay, if you got a list of 52 other things, you're not forgiving. Right? I mean, let's be practical. Okay, we're not forgiving. Why are we not forgiving? My biggest problem with forgiveness is I feel like it lets the other person off the hook and they'll do it again. That's my biggest problem. Yeah? Tell me, is that wrong? That is right. That's why you're not forgiving. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is placing boundaries, not slipping into naive. If you punch me, I've learned something and I'm not going to stand next to you. I will stand over here. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not stupid. You're not going to hit me and then suddenly I'm going to get right next to you. That's not going to happen. I'm going to stand over here beyond your range and I'm going to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean not setting up boundaries. Boundaries are healthy and right. You know what you should be doing. If it's super toxic, you back up. But you re-engage with forgiveness and try again from a safe distance with a heart full of reconciliation. It's not just letting people go to do the same thing all over again. It's trying to re-engage with the new person that you see. Because they've changed in your mind, have they not? But you don't shut the door and walk away and call them a monster and call it a day. 
That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is growing and trying again. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Don't you dare ignore this passage. I get it. Love never fails. Move on. Okay. All right. I'm going to read it for the rest of us. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm irritating. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, all my money away to charity, and I become a martyr, surrendering my body to the flames, but I don't have love, I'm not going to gain anything. You see, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Wait, it what? It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You see, love never fails. Just one thought. You're not a Christian in title. You're a Christian in lifestyle. There's nothing that irritates me more than this phrase coming from a child. Every time I go to church, everybody respects my dad. They keep saying how lucky I am to have him as my dad. You don't understand. He's a monster. He's great around you. He goes home and he tears my mom apart. He tears me and my sisters and my brothers apart. Oh, you all love him because he looks so good in church. My mom, yeah, she's out there all the time, right? These are the other things I hear. She's with her girlfriend. She's doing Facebook prayer requests. Oh, she's the nicest person in the world. You have no idea how much damage she does. And she's talking about all of you behind your back. And you all think that she's the most holy thing in the world. You are not Christian in title. You're Christian in lifestyle. Don't pretend to be something here when you're not at home. Because who you are at home is who you are. See, I don't follow you home, but Jesus does. And he follows you here. And he watches the two behaviors. And they're really, really different. That's not called integrity. It's called compartmentalization. And that's not Jesus. I close with a word of encouragement from the Word of God. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God would never ask you to make a change that he's not going to empower you to do. You can change your home. And in this, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You're not just human. You're God's kids. You have the power of God in your life to change your home. You have the power of God in your life to change your heart. You have the power of God in your life to make all necessary changes to fix the problem. We have been given everything we need for life and godliness. 
And if we need more, the Holy Spirit will provide more. We are not just people. We are Christians. We have different gifts, different power, different possibility. Our Heavenly Father wants us peaceful. I'm going to pray and we're going to watch a short video that I think some of you need to see. It is a message of tremendous hope. And it's going to say something into your life that you've been needing to hear for a really long time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, change us. Soothe our hearts. Help us to gather tools to deal with our frustration and anger. Help us to forgive. Help us to talk with peace. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.